and this is the page on the way into the Knoxville area artists networking platform. And here we talk to artists about themselves, the art they make, and where they make it from. So yeah, stick around, give us a listen. Enjoy the show. So today we are here with Matt Shelton. How are you, Matt? I'm doing good, man. Thanks, Thomas. Oh, excellent. So, uh, you have any wild shenanigans in your life today? Today I did not have any wild shenanigans. Uh, shenanigans, nonetheless. <laughs> shenanigans, nonetheless. But uh, no, just a, a pretty steady day at the office. Excellent. So uh, I generally like to fall into conversation here by asking, you know, if, if art is a person's day job or if they want it to be the day job or what the day job is in general, because I honestly don't know what you do for a living. <laughs> no, um, I, well, I, I guess I'll preface it by saying this. I'm, I'm a, a graphic designer and an, an artist and a maker. And so I sort of, I hit all the notes, uh, you know, that, that we talk about around town. Be- between the nine um, and the five? Uh, between the nine and the five, a little bit, yeah. Um, I, I work for a real estate firm in town. Uh, I do uh, digital marketing and graphic design work, uh, flyers, ads, um, website maintenance, that kind of thing. So, so a lot of the behind the scenes and mm-hmm. a lot of the creative stuff for those assets. Yep. I, yeah. Yeah. Occasionally photograph houses. Uh, you know, just I'm 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 fortunate enough to to have a, a lot of skills that I can sort of translate into one position. So the, uh, the the Swiss Army knife of the office, a little bit, yeah, a little bit, a <laughs> little, little bit, yeah, yeah. I'm the IT guy and all kinds of different things. So you've got your fingers in a lot of pies. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> so what do you do privately for yourself in an artistic capacity? Um, you know it. That that's been a little bit of a, a, a change uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, I I've been a long time. I, I had a day job somewhere else and and just working so hard to to do do everything and and be there and I yeah, wasn't working at all as a graphic designer or anything and so um, you know my my degree is in studio arts so so it was sort of a Swiss Army knife approach uh, that I took instead of a, a traditional BFA route uh, where I did get to experience a lot of different things within the art department um, but when I got out of school anyways. Uh, Worked there for a long time. wasn't doing anything, but I just really felt the call that it was time to, to come back to what I wanted to do and what I'd intended to do. And so that's kind of what led me, you know, where I'm at now. And so, um, but it, at home, uh, you know, I'm, I'm teaching myself to screen print. Um, you know, I 3D print stuff. Um, I'm learning to design, you know, in those programs. Uh, it, it's It's been great to sort of, understand how I can translate a lot of um, my, my previous photo editing and, and Adobe Illustrator uh, skills into working towards being able to design objects and then produce them, you know, in the real world. Yeah, the, the tangible to inta- or the intangible to tangible transition is very satisfying as I have uh, experience with that myself. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. It, it's one of those things, you know, I, I, I was probably was one of the last groups of people to come through college who who worked strictly in a dark room with no digital photography involved. And so, you know, that was like magic to me. 
you know, putting that sheet of, of photo paper into the into the vat mm-hmm. and seeing that image develop right there in front of you. And so I, I wanted that feeling back, and so I've, I've found it, you know, in several different ways. Yeah, so uh, the digital illustration that when I, when I initially stumbled across your social media, I think you were doing your uh, low-poly portraits. Mm-hmm. You did a wasp, which I thought was really cool. You did Mark Martin, which is one of my favorite NASCAR drivers. Shout out Mark Martin. Uh, and what I know you did one more, and I can't remember what it was, but they, they were very entertaining and very aesthetically pleasing because between digital and, and print workflows, low-poly – of spans and oh you know it it encompasses a lot of different mediums when you say low poly it, it does it, it, it was it's sort of that you know I, I I also took a lot of engineering classes while I was in college and so uh, which which included technical illustration um, and so you get really involved in geometry mm-hmm. when you when you do those things um, and so it sort of scratched an itch uh, where I was, you know, I, I had this urge to have these these rigid, solid, you know, drawings. And but at the same time, I didn't want to sit down with an ink pen and a and a, a straight and edge. a straight edge and all of that and draw them out because who has that kind of time <laughs> when you're when you're yeah. already working? And so. Um, but it was it was it was really satisfying. Um, it, it's something I've been looking at. I've been kind of like, well, what is the next step for those? Because I, I've done several. I've you know I've done some a couple of UT football players and that kind of thing. And I'm just kind of like, well, you know, how do I take this from just translating a picture into building you know something bigger? Not necessarily with with like a statement or anything behind it, but just that it's not simply a representation of a of a photograph that I really enjoy. Right. So you're you're figuring out where the crossover is between this rigid technical ex- this this workflow and technique and creating the 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 it from right. from the it that is the aesthetically pleasing part of this workflow or the outcome of making the thing that you intended to make out of the toolbox of things that you had to play with. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of those things I because when I when I when I work in in low poly, it is low poly, but a lot of people use larger geometry to do it. Um, and and I and I actually trend a lot smaller. And so they are more detailed and they have a, a there's there's a little more finesse in the way the image comes out because it has a little more shading to it or it, it takes on a little more dimensionality sometimes. Well, and, and, so and from what I've noticed in those pieces of yours, they tend to feel more organic too than just mm-hmm. some of the generic low poly artwork you see out there in the world because you have such detail and you can get a sense of the curvature of the, the subject in the picture, which is amazing when you're only using straight lines and solid colors. Yeah, and and one of the thing one of the things that I'm that I'm working, um, and and it it's not readily apparent, and I think if you sit and look at them long enough, you you can see it. Um, I I see it with only because I know it's there. Is that I'm building, I'm trying to build some some pattern or uh, geometric under sort of a skeleton underneath that is 
uh, truly a geometric pattern, more like a mandala mm-hmm. or something. So that, yes, you have this image, but then if you really start looking at the, at the, the poly part of the poly work, then you start to see a whole nother uh, underlying image. A pattern in the pattern. A pattern in the pattern, yeah. Oh, man, yeah, the, the geometry and all that, you, you've seen some of my work, so you know all well and good that I, I very much enjoyed patterns and, and symmetry and all this stuff. So uh, <laughs> I, I, will, I will keep from speaking <laughs> to that at length. But, yeah, I really enjoy that aspect of what you've got going on there. Um, have you found yourself in a specific uh, uh, headspace slash workflow for this output that you really like, or are you still trying to figure out the how the river meanders to this to – this, uh, this piece. I, th- I think the, the I'm still on the river. Um, it's still in the boat, just sort of going down the river. I actually, yeah, I haven't done one in a while. Um, I just had, you know, we've all had other stuff going on. Um, the world, the world is upside the world, down. Right the world now. is upside down. Um, but but also because I do have other, you know, I I am trying to teach myself to screen print, and I have, you know, just other interests that that. I hope to sort of bring back around mm. to it maybe at, at some point. Um, you know, it, at some point you just put it down. But it is in the back of my mind, and I am thinking about because, like you said, I scrolled through my Instagram feed the other day just kind of looking at stuff, and I was like, yeah, it's really time to, to pick one of these up again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I think you and I share the same problem where we have a lot of different ideas that have to be catered to by certain workflows and – skill sets and it's really difficult to merge all of those things into one creative output uh, you and I both play with robots and 3D <laughs> printers and, and that yes. all by itself dominates a lot of a person's headspace and energy and that's that's its own channeled very focused workflow most of the time and you know when I want to sit down and paint something and my head's still in this 3D design mode I'm just like now dang it I need to refocus to my other outputs and I, I'm sure you struggle with that as I, well. I do. I, I um, you know, we, I, I've been trying, I have been trying to pick up more traditional media though because, you know, when you spend all day working in Illustrator and Photoshop, then at some point you're, you know. You just want to grab a brush You just want to grab point. something. <laughs> something, and, and like you say, a tangible, you know, not not that you don't have output, you know, in, in Adobe and in any of the Adobe programs. It's just that you know, you want to have that connection to the work that you're doing mm. in a way that you just don't get with a mouse or, or a tablet. Yeah. And so, uh, so I, you know, I, when I was a kid, you know, cartoons were the thing, and and that was always what I wanted. And so I've I've been sort of looking back at, at that and and just you know noodling around some stuff, just trying to sort of satisfy that itch and see. You know what what comes out of that because that's part of part of where you know my screen print work can go um, because it, it's suited to that medium mm-hmm. in some way. And so, so we've kind of like walked backwards into this question, but uh, what mediums have you worked with? You know, through your creative journey, what mediums would you like to explore further? What mediums do you find yourself <laughs> stuck in right now? Because I'm, I'm sure the, the oh, wow. want to explore list is long because mine is long, and I know that feeling. It, it, it is. So, so let's, let's, let's start let's with mediums you've played with 
in the past first. So okay, let's go there. so photography, traditional, uh, traditional film, and uh, digital. I said, and and I still do that today. I'm dying for the weather to get better so that me and my family can go out and just wander around. So, what kind of hardware do you use for your photography? The the analog photography. Uh, the, I actually don't shoot film at all these days. Uh, did you in the past? I did in the past um, I did because because I learned. Uh, you know, I had an old Canon AE2 that I learned on. Uh, so I learned, you know, I learned from the very beginning how to expose a photograph properly, what it takes to to uh, uh, to to compose a photograph, mm. which you know translated into drawing and all sorts of other things. But um, it it was a it was a good learning experience because I wanted to shoot sports growing up. I like, yeah, I wanted my, I wanted to take the pictures that were on baseball cards. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> and that's a, that's an admirable thing to yeah. do because people cherish those pieces of paper mm-hmm. and they really do. And are proud to have them. Yep, absolutely. And so, you know, so I shot, I shot high school football when I was in high school and, uh, you know, I went to college and I was like, all right, we're going to do this. And, and I just, didn't feel the connection to it as an as an art form, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I the our professor uh, at ETSU at the time was you know a, a, a Harvard grad kind of guy, and so he had a really different view on the world <laughs> and and how you were supposed to make photographs. And so when you told him that you kind of were thinking commercial, then it was sort of a different feeling from him. Yeah, you, <laughs> did you feel like he was suddenly unentertained? Uh, he this? was he was not entertained <laughs> at all. <laughs> he wasn't interested at all and that and that was okay. It wasn't okay at the time. It, right. I was, you know, you're kind of devastated as a 20-year-old kid being told looking for some <laughs> reassurance that what you what your idea is isn't dumb or terrible. Exactly. But, and then you get that reaction. Yeah, but at the same time it's all good because I did learn the skills. Mm-hmm. I have the skills, and and I've been able to make use of them over the years. And and I certainly wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now without them. So, right. um, you know, I think I think what I'm what I am looking at right now, and you kind of tripped me on to this. Uh, it, it wasn't something that I had. Are you blaming me for this? I am not blaming you. <laughs> I am I am thanking you actually because what I have really really sort of dug into from a study perspective right now is uh, macro photography. Oh, yeah. We had talked about doing a project yeah. with uh, Mike uh, Bisman. Yeah. Some, some Bisman. And I shot, I, I shot it, and I, you know, I went through the process, figured it out. Um, but it was one of those things I was like, you know, this is really cool because within these very small items, there's this whole different world oh, that man. we don't see at all. There's, okay, so yeah. side note. Have you ever seen anybody make Bisman? No, I don't. Oh, my God. So, tonight, rabbit hole yourself onto YouTube about how to make Bismuth. Okay. I I promise you it is entertaining, and it's one of those (laughs) things you can watch and watch and watch and watch. Um, It's it's a mesmerizing process because on the outside it looks so simple, and that's why I'll leave it for side note. But um, you pick up a little piece of the mineral Mm -hmm. Bismuth, and you look at it, and you turn it 360 degrees, and no matter what angle you look at, there is something new to see, and that is one of the most – and uh, almost ethereal quality mm-hmm. to this particular mineral because you can look at it this from the same vantage twice and see exactly a totally different thing. Yep. Depending on all the factors around you, because 
the way the light plays, the, the way the light bounces off the object, the way the light bounces off things in the room around you. Like, this object reflects light in such a crazy way that it is one of the most entertaining photo-unquote rock cupid holding your hand, mm-hmm. and I love it. It's it's uh, it's a reason that I've drawn it, and it's found its way into my art in some uh, uh, rather psychedelic interpretations because, you know, that makes sense to me. It's, it's a very yeah. pretty thing, and if you if you really think about it, it's kind of psychedelic just in its own nature because of the colors and the textures and the structure of it. Like, where, where do you see, other than an M.C. Escher painting, like a continuous stair step all the way down to who knows where? And it, and it was. When I, when, I, when I pulled those pictures off of the, the SD card and really got to looking at them and started, I was like, wow, this is, this is different, you know. Uh, uh, it, was a, it was a change in perspective on, you know, on everything. And uh, so the, the sense of scale in the micro mm-hmm. photography, too, is a trip. Yeah, and I mean, and and when you think about, it, I mean, a lot of people take pictures of flowers, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not dogging people who take pictures of flowers. Flower, are pretty, because, but flowers, <laughs> yeah, flowers are pretty. They're great. People love to paint them. They love, but you know, do you see? Is, is there something different in those? And, and macro photography of flowers is incredible because you do see all of these delicate parts of flowers. You see. You know, teeny tiny details, but if you're just standing there looking at it, you would never and see hold, it. even if you hold it up to your face, you're not going to see it. And so, uh, that's really interesting. But I, th- I think for me, sort of finding a more industrial sort of look. Um, you know, I, th- I think, like I say, you know, there's tons of stuff around my house that I'm just dying to be like, okay, let's, you know, let's just take as many close-up photos as we can of this and see what's in there. Is, is that industrial motif something you find uh, as an inspiration, something that gets distilled through you in your art that you can see, or is that just something you find entertaining that doesn't necessarily make its way into the final product? Um, I, I think it's I think it's a little bit of both, but I think for me it's mostly it's it's entertainment, it's it's information, uh, you know that that could influence you know any, you know something else. And so not to mention, uh, Knoxville is not the least industrial place <laughs> on the planet. So there is a lot of that influence to be had mm-hmm. around town and in the surrounding areas if you're looking for it, because there's plenty there. Like, yeah. like how many how many railroads and, and former industry pathways out in this society does Knoxville have? Oh God, so many. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I would I would love to go. I've been. You know, there's a there's a an abandoned train out in Oliver Springs. Oh, and yeah. I, yeah, and I'm just kind of like, you know, when when do you go out there and hope that nobody else is out there? Because apparently there's people there all the time. Well, that's that's one of those uh, the when, not the yeah. if scenarios, mm-hmm. right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I, I know those feelings. <laughs> so, okay, so let's, let's, we, we could talk about that all night. But, uh, okay, so um, graphic design, you know, that was, uh, you know, designed some t-shirts in seventh grade and that just sort of changed again having i designed this and then i sent it out and we got it back yeah. and everybody wanted one at that moment and that was really cool and so uh you know that that's the feeling that's the feeling it, it uh but you know drawing you know i've i've, I've taken multiple drawing classes book binding 
I've worked in, in a little bit of book binding. I've done a little bit of, of jewelry smithing, little, <laughs> very little, but, um, and then, you know, and then machine embroidery, which, mm-hmm. you know, I've done some work for you with yeah, that. And, and uh, we'll, we'll get back on that at some point because I don't want to leave that project undone. There are, uh, you know, I, I, if it's out there to be done, I have come really close to touching it. And so, um, you know, sewing's not my thing, but machine embroidery, because I could, again, translate skills into something that produced a product that, that I liked and that other people liked, I mean, I can't turn it down. And so... <laughs> it's really fun playing with a robot. Yeah, it is, it is. And, that, and that's exactly what machine embroidery is. It's a robot. Yeah. Uh, and in, in my experience being a, a 3D printing kind of person, I, you know, I, not everybody knows who a 3D what a 3D printer is. So, you know, sometimes I just tell people I'm going to go home and play with my robot. They just <laughs> look at me so sideways, and I love it. And then I have to explain to them, like, I, I make jewelry and print yeah. and, and whatnot on, on my 3D printer, and then it makes more sense to them. But seeing their face when I say I'm going to go home and play with my <laughs> robot is endlessly entertaining. I'm like, I can't wait to get off of here. So I will tell the least suspecting people that I'm going to go home and play with a robot. <laughs> And so I'm going to get angry, and I'm going to curse at it. Oh, boy, you better believe <laughs> that robot, the, the one that is currently operable, uh, <laughs> has probably had more obscenities hurled in its direction than any other human I've ever talked to on yep. the planet, and I will prefer to keep it that way. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> if I can cuss more at the, uh, at the moving inanimate objects in my home than other people around here, I think I've been at least half a good person. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm like you. I have, I have one that's not operable at the moment and one that is and I finally got it after many many nights of cursing it's finally tuned and <laughs> I feel like uh, anytime you're testing a new parameter or tuning something which is endless at least one cuss word is required for at least every hour yeah. of tuning <laughs> and for me that's the ratio that I've found to be most successful yeah. It's the it, and it comes either good or bad too. The the cussing does. Yeah. It's like, oh yes, I did the thing. <laughs> Shit, no, I didn't. And it, it it comes from both directions of the spectrum. Yeah. And it's it's good and it's bad and it's ugly paint and it's ugly paint. I'm, I didn't mean to start talking about the duality of owning a 3D printer, yeah. but <laughs> but here we are. So, uh, what? All right, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. What okay. was the subject matter of the image on the screen printed T-shirt in Southern Belle? Uh, we we were starting um, uh, at the time. Environmentalism was just really sort of capturing the imagination of, of people, and our school had never had a, a recycling organization or anything like that. And so we were starting an, an environmental club that would re, you know we ran a recycling program through the school, and then we would go out in the community and clean up and parks and whatever. Nice. Um, and so we just. You know, it was one of those things where it was like, if you're going to have a club, you have to have a t-shirt. Right. And you have to have some sort of formal or informal uniform. Right. You have to look like you belong. And so, uh, so we, you know, I, I went home that night, the, the, the teacher, uh, uh, Donna Jett was the teacher and we, we went home, I went home that night and put pen to paper and came up with something and, uh, you know, took it back to her and. Okay, great. And then, you know, before we knew what happened, you got you know, there, there were we got we had we had T-shirts, and 
Yeah, it was just, it was like, again, it was like magic. Like magic. Because all of a sudden you're holding the thing in your hand mm-hmm. that was on paper a couple of weeks ago. Just yeah, and, and that people actually wanted it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, it. I'm, I'm totally fine with working for my own edification, but when you can you can produce something that either somebody asks for or that the, they see and they're like, I have to have that, yeah, then that, you can't replace that deal. That validation is yeah. something else. Uh, I've done a few print runs of T-shirts. I've not done any screen printed T-shirts myself, but I've done inkjet for mm-hmm. garment printing, which I really love. Get the photo realism, right? But you know that's not the main way mass amounts of T-shirts get made these days, which is okay. But uh, you know, I've I've had that feeling specifically with T-shirts, and boy, is it nice! <laughs> God, it is. Hey, nice. I I have your your Tennessee Interstates. Uh, oh, you got red one of those? bubble shirt. Yeah, uh, you got one of those. I do have one of those. Excellent. Uh, I'm glad we. I'm glad I got that design sorted out because. Uh, some issues from the printer on that one. <laughs> they were printing it super high up close to the neck, and I was like, this is bullshit. I got to fix this. So I told them to move it on, and they had to take it down because you can't have that shit right no. here. It's all up under my beard. Can't yeah. see it. <laughs> but uh, it got sorted out, and I think you're one of three people that includes myself <laughs> that has that T-shirt. But I, I love that shirt. Um, and I, I pitched it to some of the local like T-shirt stores, and they didn't want to buy it. So I said, screw it. I'll make it myself. And sell it and and i don't care that three people have it because you know what three people have it and i'm really excited about exactly that. i just i don't care that i'm in it <laughs> i love yeah. wearing that shirt i made that i did that back here by hand like all by myself it was yep. all me it no was it's it's nice it, it's a clean design and that's what's fun about it is that it you instantly know what it is it's clearly readable it's got good line weight to it and it's it's just black and white. I mean, yeah. you, could, you could print it in any color scheme you wanted to, and it would still read almost exactly the same way. Well, I really wanted it to feel like you just pulled the lines off mm-hmm. of a map. Like you were looking at the road map of Tennessee with all the, the state highways, and you just went, Boop, and put it yep. on a T-shirt. And I feel like I've executed that in a decent amount. So I can't I can't uh, say thank you enough for that positive yep. feedback. No, you <laughs> did. You scored with that one. But uh, what what other things have you screen printed? <laughs> what designs have you done? Um, well, I you know I I'm fortunate enough to work uh, work not for but with uh, uh, Mike at Tall Man Toys and Comics. I've done four or five designs. I can't remember how many, but we uh, we put those together and and at first we outsourced them out and um, it was just one of those things where I was like you know I'd really like to try doing this. Um, and so he and I, you know, put together a plan and, and here we are. And so, uh, we just, we, it's Valentine's day weekend coming up, but we've Mm -hmm. got a a new design that we just put out this week. That's, um, the take on She-Ra's logo. It's tall man toys and comics and, it's a you know pink shirt with white prints. It's it's a pretty nice looking so it's, print. Yeah. It's the the February edition. Yeah, it is. It's the February edition, and and so uh, that that's the start. And then uh, what I what I really want is uh, kind of like what you were talking about. It was like, well, you know, I could spend time pitching other companies to print my designs, or I could just do it myself. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the avenue I took for that was there There are a lot of print fulfillment services out there on the internet these days that make really good products. Uh, I use uh, Tee Public myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people use Redbubble, Teespring, 
Yeah, you know, throw a dart at the wall. There's 50,000 of them in there that you could use. And, um, you know, so far I've been pleasantly surprised with the quality I've gotten back because I've ordered my own products just to see right. what people are getting because if I didn't like it, I would have taken the whole store down because there's no point of it being there if you don't like the end result. Totally agree. And uh, luckily that I've spent my own money on my own designs and found out that the product that I put my name on is still a good product that other people like to wear. And I, uh, if, like I said, if, I, if that wasn't the case, I would take it down because that at the very least is what I want. Now, uh, if, if anything beyond that is, you know, icing on the cake. And I'm, I'm pretty pleased. And, and if it was economical for me to take that in-house and do it downstairs in the basement or whatever, I probably would have. But <laughs> I don't – that's just not a commitment I've made yet. But I can't say I won't in the future. Um, I, you know, I, I have I have visions and dreams of an apparel company. I don't know that that will ever, ever shake out. But if I don't try it, it's definitely not going to oh, happen. Oh, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> and, you know – I like wearing clothes. I know there are people out there that don't. But since <laughs> I wear clothes and I'm a creative person, I've tried my hand at designing clothes. Yep. Not just graphic tees, but, you know, coats and how the fabric is cut and the whole nine yards, how it lays on a body and all that stuff. And I've drawn these things out. And you know what? It feels really good to sit there and draw the coat that you can't buy. You know, I want I want to sew a really nice coat of my own design at some point, And if somebody wants to buy one after they see the one I've made for myself, then great. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm like you. I, I you know, I, I don't necessarily. It doesn't necessarily have to be one of a kind for me, but it would one of a few would be okay. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I generally don't do things that are eerily similar to other people's items that they've created because I really like doing things just a bit different enough to make myself happy with the thing. Mm-hmm. And I wish more people did that because. I want all the original items. Even if it's a twist or a variation or a common thing, I want some original limbs onto the issue. And uh, I really am delighted when I see something that looks normal, quote-unquote, but isn't. Absolutely. And if you can get that in some tangible form that you can wear around in public, that's just doubly entertaining to me. I love it. Um, I like a lot of Japanese-influenced clothing mm-hmm. because, first of all, that stuff is really comfy. And second, the way uh, it adheres to itself, the way the fasteners are, the way they cross your body with, with the buttons and where the, and just how things are put together in general is so interesting to me. And I really enjoy mechanically the, the thought of putting these yeah, things no, together. No, they have, a really, they have a really interesting aesthetic. Um, you know, like you said, the way things are cut. There's a, not sure what I'm trying to describe, but it, you know, there's a, there's just a difference in, in the way that they design, particularly sort of the, the, the frills, for lack of a better word, yeah. of, of a garment and, and collars and lapels and the way, you know, the way they cut those things, uh, you know, if I could if I could look like a character out of Yakuza, that would be that one would of be the, just fine, yeah, right? That would be just fine for me. Yeah, uh, a, a lot of the fashion I see in Ghost in the Shell actually like, and, and that is dystopian future mm-hmm. Tokyo in a way that is very unique among dystopian Japanese futurescapes. But a lot of the uh, more formal attire in that universe 
is really interesting. Uh, it's very much in the uh, what's that? Well, I know that's a very niche <laughs> bit of media to pull from for this reference, but some of the suits and you know, like I said, formal wear and uniforms in that visual media mm-hmm. are all caught with this soap leak. <laughs> there, there's some really nice stuff in in Persona, uh, mm. the Persona games too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I've seen a lot of the uh, the character artwork and you know concept artwork for a lot of that stuff. And I, I love it. Like if I can dig into a piece of media and get like the behind the scenes concept work, you know, especially when it comes to clothing and accessories, whether that be weapons or you mm-hmm. know what what have you, uh, it's really entertaining to see into the mind of the person designed that that isn't the final distilled product because the rough edges around these designs to me are really entertaining. I, I, I can't, you know, it, it's funny that you say that because uh, one of the, you know, I, I'm not a huge collector. If I could go back to collecting baseball cards, I would. Um, but who has the space or the, the resources for that, especially the way things have escalated now. Oh but crazy. one of the things that I do love is, is trolling through Amazon used concept art books from video games. Oh, yeah. Because those guys are some of the most talented artists I've ever seen. And like you were saying, it's really interesting to see how they translate the and, – and a lot of these are finished drawings that you see, but how they translate these, these visual assets on paper into a digital world mm-hmm. that you then interact with. Yeah. The, 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 the workflow and the ethos between the 2D, I just drew this on paper, this looks really cool, being translated into something you can see life on top of in a 3D uh, you know, scenario yep. on a screen is, is such an interplay that a lot of people, I won't say struggle to understand, but it takes a very uh, adept knowledge of both of those things to make the 2D thing or make the 3D thing look and feel like what you expect the 2D thing to behave like. You know? Exactly. And and that conflict is either executed in a way that is comfortable, and if it's not, somehow it's stuck right <laughs> dead in the middle of the uncanny valley, and you look at it, and you just know there's something off about that. And if that's what you're going for, then great, you nailed it, but most of the time it's not. And you can just tell when these things are executed Yes, absolutely. And and poorly, but it's easier. It's Sadly, it's easier to see when they're not <laughs> executed well. But to look at the finer things, you know, and see that it is executed well. Like, I've, I've seen and I've watched in person and seen a lot of uh, cyberpunk gameplay. And I will say that a lot of the, the attire and textures and, you know, the assets that make this game nice look really nice. Uh, Project Red, I think, did a great job with all the yep. visual assets of this game, and it's really difficult to make something that big look that cohesive, and it all makes sense all at the same time through picture assets. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I got the concept art book for that the other night. Yeah, I know uh, that's why I bring it up. <laughs> I want to flip through and, that. And, and so it, um, no, it, it is, and and I and and I'm playing the game right now, um, despite its its buggy state, um, whatever, but. Like you, I'm really into the world, and so, um, you know, just just walking around in that world and seeing um, 
all of the artwork that's been created, um, and the textures load. <laughs> I will say that Borderlands when, has that same when, issue. Yes, with the Borderlands load. has the exact same issue sometimes. Uh, but it it is one of those things where it's like, you know, I mean, what Cyberpunk was what ten years in dev. Oh yeah, it's, it was. It you was know, a, it was a long, it, long I mean, gestation period on that ten, game. Ten years to build literally a world, and and it, it it's just incredible what they do. Um, you know, the the Naughty Dog games are exactly the same yeah. way, uh, and and I have both of the Last of Us concept art books, and they're absolutely phenomenal. And it's it's incredible the amount of detail that they go into one to create the characters and their backstory then to create their visual language for that entire world. And and those stories are so great because they are backed up by mm-hmm. such a detailed environment to be in. And that is an amazing feat of just artistic expression Absolutely. all by itself. Because you could have the best script, the best voice actors, great character models, but until you put the visuals and, and the ambiance and the finesse on all of these aspects, they feel really disjointed. And when you can dive into a brand new world, like you, you know, you pop the disc in the game and you play for 10 minutes and you are then currently enthralled from <laughs> start to finish after that. Yes, absolutely. That is, that is an excellent mark of uh, uh, top-notch execution because every detail has been thought of. And if you don't have that level of granularity and analyzation about how this looks, but how does that make it feel, like it, it really distances you from the experience in some negative ways. And, you know, sometimes that might be the aim of what you're going for, but, you know, in, in immersive single-player experiences like that, right. that is definitely the last thing you want. And I really enjoy the, a lot of games that are coming out from, from Sony Studios and Sony platforms, not to say good single-player experiences <laughs> don't come out lots of other places, because they do, but in this context, we're talking about these particular games, I think they're executed incredibly well, and, you know, Game of the Year edition stuff, uh, Spider-Man, holy shit, that game yes. is great, it's gorgeous, uh, I mean, I remember when that game dropped and they talked about how good this the building looked, because... They, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they had to write software just to manage glass reflections off yes. of buildings for the ray tracing of that game, right, and everything. Yep. And, you know, not only that, but you could look into 98% through the glass in the buildings and see uh, what one can assume to be a livable <laughs> environment inside this inside this building. And that's, that's great because, you know, if you played any Spider-Man game between 1995 and 2001, you never got that skyscrapers were all no. just some big some big tall made to look shiny box <laughs> yep just a just a, a, a cube or a box yeah. you know stretched and so uh, no I, I I think that's but it, but I think if you if you look at that I think that's one of the areas that I want to explore art wise um, is is VR and AR but as an art experience not not a gaming platform because you know i'm not a coder i tell everybody that 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 asks me for you know a website or whatever no i'm not a coder 
you know, I could design it, but I, I cannot, I cannot hardcore put it together from scratch. And so, uh, but, but I, I, it's one of those things when, when you're scrolling through Facebook and, you know, somebody's posted a, a, a panoramic picture or whatever, and you're able to, to move your phone around and, and really sort of explore that world, even though it, it's a little bit shallow, and, and that's where I want to see the, the AR and VR medium go, is into, a, into an art experience where you're able to explore a world in a, in a tangible way, I guess, you know, even... I feel uh, like the sense of uh, Equator being there mm-hmm. is, is difficult to convey when the, uh, the sensory perception of this particular environment isn't intense in any way, shape, or form. Like right. You're wearing the goggles, you're walking around in the room, but how do you make yourself feel like you're in the environment that you see or uh, see and or hear? Because 3D audio is awesome now. Yes. Um, so, you know, what? somewhere there's a disconnect there, and how do you close that gap? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I've, expo- I've experimented with um, all of the creative software that Sony has put on the PlayStation 4. That's uh, Cool Painter VR, Sculptor VR. The only thing I haven't played with is Dreams. Which Dreams, is, Dreams is awesome, but I, the learning curve is very steep. I, oh, well, I, I, I could only assume. <laughs> uh, and I've also played with Google Tilt Brush. I'll get into Dreams at some point. I just know it because I, I can't keep myself away from it. Um, but Google Tilt Brush on HTC headsets has been really fun because they have just enough granularity with the artistic tools that you have to make it feel like you're kind of there. Like they have, you know, the sparkles and the fog and, and uh, the kind of uh, interference stuff in there that you, you feel like you're in something. And, you know, I did the whole classic uh, build a fire and draw a tree <laughs> and, you know, and here's a hammock, you know. And, but the volumetric feel of that environment doesn't get in the way of your experience viewing it because the – the limitations of VR and AR software right now about the volumetric space mm-hmm. in which you operate inside of can be a little of a disconnect because well you're you've got a cord or you can't walk this far over there or you right. can't do this you know don't do one of those <laughs> and it's a little bit of a disconnect but if you forget that and you're in more of a seamless experience then you can definitely dive into that environment a little bit and I've been able to experience a little bit of that you know, by my own creation, and I've experienced a lot of that uh, from production houses that specialize in this right. kind of thing, and it's cool. The disconnect is so little sometimes when you get into a well-crafted uh, environment, and it's it's wonderful. Totally I really agree. look forward to very fine-tuned uh, VR experiences. The, the thing I see about AR is the fact that if you can't craft an experience to whatever environment person may be in then you're going to have some sort of disconnect that's a that that is a challenge you're you're right there um i mean i think they're they're the minecraft ar game they're discontinuing yeah niantic killed it yeah or is going to kill it this spring something like that Uh, pokemon takes up a lot of their uh corporate assets i think (laughs) which which they've done a really good job with and i'm very uh, very pleased with my pokemon go experience (laughs) i've been playing it for a long time (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. I I never did get into Pokemon Go. Just because I I was never into Pokemon. It was just not. You know, it was just a thing that didn't connect for it, me. It, and it so, missed you. Yeah, huh? it it completely missed me. It sucked <laughs> me in the jaw, dude, real yeah. hard. <laughs> no, it. But but I'm thinking that you know I I think what I'm thinking of is is you know a more not necessarily a more tactile experience, but a more traditional art experience. Um, not like a gallery that you walk through, but but an actual hand-drawn environment that you that you actually maneuver in and that you're you're able to to interact with. Um, I, I don't know how you pull that off necessarily, but and it may be that we're still limited a little bit by technology uh, on that. I mean, we're our you know I, we both play on Sony VR mm-hmm. head units, and you know the, that is much further behind where Oculus is at right oh, now. Oh yeah, it's it's. As much as we hate to agree <laughs> that the PSVR is a dinosaur in the VR realm of home entertainment, what it is is great for the platform Absolutely. that it's on. And the experiences that are out there are really good experiences tailored for this hardware. No, but, absolutely. But when you start talking about Oculus Go or HTC Vives yeah. and all the other, like, quote-unquote high-end high headsets, it, it pales in comparison to us. But the, the studios tailor the experiences to this hardware so well, you almost forget what you're wearing headsets for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's what you want. That's the goal. If you forget that you're in this hardware interface, all of a sudden you're just there. And that that's the connection that I feel like everybody really needs to have. All right, so we've talked a lot about video games. I know. Sorry. <laughs> let's, let's get back. So what – what mediums and and their associated workflows are you in the middle of right now in your creative output? Uh, right now, I am uh, like I say I'm in I'm in the middle of screen printing right now. Um, I am really itching to uh, pick up woodcut printing. Uh, Me too. I just <laughs> I, I you know. It, it's one of those things that that you don't have to have a press for, like you do uh, intaglio mm-hmm. or engraving, and so uh, it, it's it's a more forgiving medium. Uh, certainly, the cost of entry is much yeah, much the, lower. The entry is low. Is, is much lower, but I like the results. I, I think that there's, you know, in, in I mean, then you can do you know as many color layer prints as you mm-hmm. want to do, but there's something very elegant about when you see a woodcut printer who really knows what they're doing, the way that they handle black and white, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and actually the the strokes that go into carving those plates, it's it's absolutely phenomenal. Oh, the, and, there's and it's that's a finesse game. Yeah, it is, and it and it's just it, like I say, and it's very it's very very elegant. Um, you know, there's there's guy. Uh, I think he's still in Nashville, but uh, uh, he calls himself Strawcastle on Instagram, and he does fantastic work. It's just incredible, and so uh, I, I do want to try that. It's sort of, again, it's it's an outlet for for drawing and illustration in a way uh, where I can create a limited run or a limited edition, you know, piece of work, but I don't have. That's that's the thing that always troubles me about drawing is that I only have one. If I if I sit and draw it, I have one, and then I make a photocopy of yeah. it, you know, and have it printed. But you know, I, I I still want there to be a little bit of me involved in whatever you're taking home. Yeah. So, 
So uh, a Canadian artist that I follow over on their Instagrams has solved that problem recently, and he he paints really crazy uh, geometric knotworking patterns mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and and legitimately spends large amounts of time hand painting these very beautiful things. And he got a print done recently of one of his pieces that had some very uh, Escher inspired bits in the design, and he wasn't exactly pleased with how the detail of the more intense detail area came out in the print. So he's, he decided instead of like, um, let's scrap the whole run, he's going to hand embellish and mm. add detail to to the pieces that were you know highly detailed and difficult to reproduce. He's just going to hand embellish those areas on the print and then sell them as custom hand embellished prints, which I think is amazing. So I have a snag one, and it'll be here yeah. you know, hopefully <laughs> next week. But uh, I, I just thought that was a good way to to you know make lemonade out of the lemons that he was yeah, given. No, absolutely. And that sort of is attuned to your point, and that just happens to be one of the things that's in my artistic eye right now the the hand embellished things because I mean you you've seen the geometric artwork mm-hmm. that I make and you know that I use fluorescent pigments and stuff like that. Right. You cannot print neon colors that are UV reactive and you cannot print really good glow in the dark <laughs> stuff and that happens to be two of the many things that I use so they, that, that yeah they're, they're just such specialty products that nobody stops them and they're going to charge you an arm and a leg if they can do it if and they so can which yeah. is usually a no we choose <laughs> not to do this right so that would that that's where I would have to find myself hand embellishing these things and that if I were to release uh, a hand embellished print series, that that would have to be the only solution, and I, that doesn't bother me. I've just not pulled the trigger on that particular uh, methodology just yet, because I like to sell my originals. Yeah, and I want I want people to have the originals because that's the experience I want you to have, and the ones I still keep of my own artwork. I want them because I don't want anybody else to have them. <laughs> but, you know, when I say here's here's how this behaves, I don't want you to get a print of that because that's not how the thing behaves. I don't want you to have one-third of the experience. Like the artwork that I make looks yeah. good in three different lighting scenarios. Sunlight, whatever light you got, and then black light, no light. I don't want you to buy a print of my art- artwork that works good in multiple lighting scenarios to only have it nice in one lighting right. scenario. And that, I just... That bugs the piss out of me, and I can't get over it. Yeah, I mean, so that's uh, why you I like saw how hard it was for us to just find neon reactive thread, yeah, you know, to, to run through an embroidery machine. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was it was near impossible. Uh, that's <laughs> niche upon niche yeah. product. Yeah, it's like oh, we need things that glow in the dark that also are threads. Yes, <laughs> glow in the dark and, and fluorescent, but it has to be a fiber. Oh joy, of a certain weight. Yeah, yeah. With yeah, no, it's just a it, it's it's a headache. But I will that okay. Let's talk about that little fiber issue for a minute, Rose, because that's a medium I've never used. Uh, uh, fiber arts, uh, I've never like crocheted a scarf or you know I've never sewn a t-shirt. Like I've never done any of that. And I saw that you were playing with your embroidery robot, and I was like, "Hey man, can we uh, get together <laughs> on this thing?" So we took uh, one of my mandalas from two thousand seventeen or so, a couple years ago. Maybe 2018. But it was really simple. Thick black lines, bold colored areas, all the stuff. And we uh, U-digitized it, ran it through the embroidery machine. Came out really nice. Uh, couldn't do it as large as I wanted to uh, initially, but that's all valid. <laughs> and uh, we ended up with a very...
an outcome that fit realistic expectations and still looked really good. Yeah, so. no, it, it, it looked incredible, particularly under Blackhawk. Mm. And I, I still fully intend to do the small run of these of these embroidered prints, air quotes, uh, because I feel as if the visual texture of that particular artwork is is far more uh, gratifying to the eyes than just a plain uh, floral color print. And uh, seeing the threads and the light bounce off the texture of the threads is so entertaining to me. And I, I feel that it just lends a richness to the image that you don't get out of a lot of other mediums. It, it, it did. It, it, provided, it provides more texture uh, than what you would get from just a, a flat surface print of it. Um, you know, there's, there's always a little bit of dimensionality with, with embroidery. Mm. Uh, but, but in this case, uh, because I was able to go in and add and, and align all of the, the stitch pattern, you know, in, in, wor- in ways that enhanced the image rather than uh, flattened it out. Yeah, say. which I really enjoyed because that adds a whole different layer of pattern mm-hmm. to the already circular geometric pattern that is ra- radially symmetric. I've been looking for that word for like yeah. three days. <laughs> Uh, it, it adds a whole different layer of radial symmetry to the overtly obvious radial symmetry that is already yeah, the piece no, itself. Absolutely. And that that that's so entertaining to me. I love it. Uh, so we're gonna finish that run yeah, at some no, point. Absolutely. So uh, that that's a future medium for me and something you've helped <laughs> me dabble in. So what uh, other than the, the macro photography, what is a a medium you wish to dabble in in the future or something you just wish to go balls deep in? You know, like I say, um, the I think the, the woodcut, I mean, and, and when I say that, that lino cut obviously as well, but I really want to get into woodcut because at the end of that process, you have these beautiful wood plates that you mm-hmm. can treat and, and either paint or stain, and you have one original image, you preserved. know, that well. preserved out of that mm-hmm. and so and then and then you turn around and you can offer that to somebody as well uh, or you know keep it yourself whatever you want to do with it but uh, I, I just see I see guys on uh, on Instagram and on YouTube working in that medium and I'm just kind of like I can do that and, and I and I want to have and develop like I said that sort of, of, of skill and elegance that goes into that that level of crafting an image. That I would like to play with that as well because I I think working with wood lends itself to a more organic feeling end product regardless of whether it's the carved wood is the end product itself right. or the, the medium the image is translated with it. And I, I really enjoy carpentry and I've done enough woodwork in my life to know that you know, ripping down some timbers and carving this <laughs> and carving that can be a very gratifying experience. And I can only further understand and potentially enjoy the fact that I sat down with this block of wood that was prepared properly for it to take this image carved this way. I, I would like to dive into that workflow mm-hmm. because the workflow seems very centering and you can find peace in it with your headspace and, and and, you know, the, the zen aspect of it, I believe you can find there, I think, 
is a very helpful exercise for folks. I no, I, I totally agree. I, you know, I I enjoy painting wood signs. I, I don't do it often because I'm not great at it, and and I just don't. Uh, well, let me put it this way: I'm left-handed, so <laughs> so painting, the world is already yeah, against you. So, <laughs> but 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 painting, uh, but but painting, particularly strip, is is just not easy, and it, it never comes out right because I'm either having to do it backwards or engineer a way to yeah. make it, it what it's supposed to be. And so uh, it's, it's not fun. I, I don't, en- I, you know, for one of the things, you know, on, the, on my laptop there's a, a sticker, and I think it came from, uh, uh, I can't remember who designed it. Maybe it was Allie Biddle in town, uh, but somebody in town, one of, the, one of the other designers in town, you know, it says enjoy the process, and that's what I'm always looking for. Am I enjoying this? Because if I'm not enjoying it, then I'm, I'm certainly not going to come back to it on the regular. Yeah. No. And, and so I enjoy painting signs, but at the same time, they don't meet the quality that I want, and, and I'm afraid when I when I really dig into the process and I've, and I've practiced that I just can't develop it because it's a little bit of a limitation. It's not, it's not an excuse, and there's plenty of left-handed people who paint great lettering and signs but it's just not for me well you know if english language was written from right to left (laughs) you would be like primo but that's that's what we work with it's not that yeah and and that's a that's a constraint not not necessarily it's a limitation but it is a constraint well you can't put you can't put a piece of paper down on wet paint to cover up you know what you're (laughs) to protect what you're doing and so uh, you know, in your sketchbook or whatever, that that works fine, and it, it's not a big deal. But it it's kind of a big deal when you're when you're dealing with a fluid medium like that. Yeah, uh, I always I always hate when I dip my hand. Even <laughs> even being a right-handed person, when I dip my hand in the wet paint, yeah, it's one of those one cuss per hour at <laughs> least scenarios when it's it's a pain. And there's the shame you feel too. It's just like God, dang, I just, uh. yeah. I'm trying to do better inking stuff uh, and and covering up. It's it's one thing when you're when you're taking notes at work or whatever, and you're just writing as fast as you can, and it smears or whatever. But I, I am trying to take more care uh, from a from a craft perspective of of covering up and making sure that I'm not dragging my hand through you know two D lead and mm-hmm. and that kind of thing as much as possible. The 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 enjoy the process though. That, um, if you can find that flow state in whatever process you're doing, and, and this is kind of one of the common things I like to talk to people about in, in the podcast here, is like, in which of these workflows <laughs> do you find this, this flow state? Because at some point in someone's artistic, you know, call it career, call it expressiveness, call it output, whatever you wish, and at some point when you're doing what you do as a creative person, you find that. And it is one of those things that you either find that somehow in your life or you go to your deathbed never really understanding how right. to do that. And it's a shame. And that is and that is one of the things I want for listeners of the podcast or other creative people or just, you know, Joe Blow down the street. I want them to find a way to enter that headspace because it is such a universal experience to being human that everybody should experience it, and it's a wonderfully helpful thing to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, like you say, it, it's it's that that moment where you do 
you switch off your brain, but it's not necessarily switched off. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think going back to, to some of the low poly artwork, it's, it's, you know, there is a space where I can just turn on some music and just power through, you know, all of the clicks and, and, and mm-hmm. design part of that. Um, it, it, it always comes out better for me, I think, and I'm, and I'm all for this. I will admit, uh, but it always comes out better for me if I, uh, you know, if as much planning as possible goes into it, uh, then, you know, I do find that flow state easier because I'm finding myself making less decisions, which then lowers my anxiety level about right, yeah, that what makes I'm doing. Perfect sense. <laughs> Uh, I, I fall on both sides of that spectrum because the the forethought for a project can be also a therapeutic part of the mm-hmm. experience. But, you know, when you just dive into a thing and you don't give yourself that time or you don't have the chance of giving that energy to the project in the front of the project, it, it can or cannot help you in some way. Totally and, agree. And it's one of those scenarios, damned if you do, damned if you don't, that – it's going to happen one way or another, and sometimes both of those things happen. Yeah. <laughs> but that can be good. You know, sometimes you just have to dive in and make the decisions and see how it goes as it's going, and then lots of other times if you give it a little forethought, even if I can sit down for 20 minutes and rough sketch something, I sit down, I have a good idea of what it is exactly I'm expecting, you know, as as the image forms. I know right. this element here, that element there. I know how the puzzle fits together more or less. and that is a pleasure in and of itself, having made those decisions beforehand. So you can put the blinders on and just lay down and do the thing and go to work, so to speak, and, and make it happen. And I find that to be generally a little more enjoyable than just diving in. But the gung-ho, like, let's go do this art <laughs> shit part of me is just like, oh, yeah, dude, just put the pencil on the paper and see what happens, you know. And and that that's a duality I fight within myself when it comes to my, my creative yeah. expression. I, I, d- I do find myself, and, and I find myself sometimes switching off, and, and those are usually the moments where I produce the worst stuff is when uh, is when I don't plan, and then I decide I'm going to dive in, and but I refuse to make decisions during the process <laughs> when you're when you're confronted with one, <laughs> right? Because you don't because it, because at that point you're you're unsure of you know you're unsure of what your final outcome is supposed to look like. Yeah. And so um, that that's the hardest part. That The blank page is the worst oh, feeling it, ever. It, and it, I've heard artists <laughs> say it all the time, but it is the worst feeling for me. Well, the, the, the sense of liberation <laughs> and then the breadth of choices you could make are liberating and frightening at the same time. Now, I've, I've had the luxury of doing some – kind of large-scale aerosol pieces. You know, I've, I've done some mural work here and there. Nothing nothing that I would say is an expertise of mine, but it's something I really enjoy. And in this workflow in particular, it's one of those things where I understand that I have walked up to this wall with these cans of paint, and I don't know what's going to happen. And whatever happens, don't you dare beat yourself up about it because yeah. you walked up to that wall with all the materials and no expectations. And if you try to retroactively put expectations on yourself as you stand there and look at the finished project, you're just going to hate it and yourself when you're done. So I have to remember to understand to drop a lot of my expectations, especially if I walk into a project with very little time for planning and forethought. 
And you know what? I think a lot of expectations really helps me because I get caught up in my own expectations all the time. I, I, I feel the exact same way. I, and, and I get caught up in expectations from a perspective of, um, you know, I, I, I've been watching it. My, my go-to for learning stuff is, I mean, it's like everybody else, it's YouTube. But I also spend a lot of time on Skillshare and Domestica. And what I see a lot of designers doing that I have just never had this feeling of doing is putting together mood boards. Um, and, and I understand why they do it. But for me, it creates unrealistic expectations because then I'm in. I'm always comparing whatever I'm doing to to the, to, to to the, the frame of to context. what some other people have already put together in that same vein. Mm. And there's no, you know, so there's nothing original under the sun. So you're you're comparing yourself always to to what you thought or what you were envisioning the process to end up like, and so. It's a it's a real pain sometimes to to deal with it. Um, have you ever heard that comparison is the thief of joy? Yes, because that's yes, something absolutely. I tell myself at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the project that I'm neck deep in right now is a, a rain barrel project for the Watershed Foundation here locally. And I was putting a base coat of primer on this damn rain barrel the other day, and I got a run in my paint. And I was just like, oh god, it's the end of the world. Uh, you know, decided to really like harp on myself for a minute and then I was like you know what I've just remembered that I don't need to give a shit about the run in that paint because that's not what that's not the thing I'm worried about that's not that's not what people are going to see that's what Mm -hmm. I see right now but that's not what people are going to see when it's done so you know widening my scope and remembering the big picture here like that little shit don't matter but you know when this whole thing is executed and put together the message is going to be there and nobody's going to see that run in the paint so I posted on my Instagram the other day. I was like, you know what? It's it's really liberating when you remember <laughs> you don't have to give a single fuck about that thing you just messed up yep. in the big picture of the ordeal. Yeah, I, I, I've i tried to, to pull back. I used to be really bad um, about, you know, presenting something to somebody and being like, well, here's the ten things that are wrong oh, with, yeah. with this item. And they would never have actually looked at it and gone, oh, that's screwed up. That's, that's <laughs> I try to be overly <laughs> humble just so I don't do that. Like, I will present things to people and sometimes say nothing because yeah. I'm scared to say stuff like that because I understand my aptitude to relay my issues with whatever it is to the person that is so happy to get it. And I, and I just try not to taint their perception of the thing by my tainted perceptions yeah, of exactly. the thing. Exactly. No, no, it is, and it is because you damage, you, you not only damage their perception of your artwork, but in a way you damage their perception of you by doing mm, that. And yeah. it, it took me a long time and, and quite frankly, a little bit of therapy to, to work through some of that and, and be able to just say, okay, this is what this is. This is my skill level for whatever you've asked me for. Yeah. And, you know, I've tried now, I, I try to frame that and be honest up front. Right, of course, you know. because <laughs> you want you want the receiver to have mm-hmm. uh, a proper expectations. Exactly, exactly. And, and, yeah, so I do try to manage expectations, but at the same time, you know, and, and flaws, flaws are what bring things life sometimes, and, and that is the part that I 
I have struggles with is that uh, you know, I want it to be absolutely perfect, and you get that way working particularly with Illustrator mm-hmm. because everything is such a hard mathematical line. And you can zoom right in there, boy. <laughs> you you can, can zoom right in. I'm going to find everything. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to find that one stray point that's managed, that's you know, just barely mismanaging that curve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then nobody would notice except you. <laughs> that there's, there's whatever that aspect is about being a creative person. I don't wish to not have it, but if it had a knob for adjustment, that, that would be great. I, I would dial that it, back down to about a five. It, I don't give a shit if it's in the middle of my forehead. I will, I will use that knob. I really don't care because yeah. sometimes you just have to remember that you have to frame these things in a way that you don't alter anybody else's perception of it. And I, I really would like to leave it as I had fun making yes. this. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope you enjoy it in the manner you expected to enjoy it. Exactly. And I try not to say more, and sometimes I say that differently, but that's that's the thought I try to convey to the people that receive my art and however they decide to receive it. Yeah, I, I always want to be gracious. That That's the – because that – and it really is how I feel, but sometimes it comes off as – this really self-doubting, false humility kind of thing. <laughs> I have that issue as well, and then sometimes I, I can be perceived as really cocky because I'm just like, yeah, I, I know I'm good at the things I'm good at because I've put a lot of time mm-hmm. into working on this skill set or having this particular outcome, and I'm, I'll just sit there and have this smug smile and be like, mm, yes, thank you. But, <laughs> but, but damn it, you know, I – I'm I'm proud of the practice that I've put into the thing to do what I've tried to present to you, no, you know. Absolutely. And and I don't try to be cocky, but if I tell you I've tried really hard to be good at what I'm good at, then please understand that I've taken a lot of time and energy to practice that thing. I'm not saying it to brag or or you know boost my own ego because you like the thing. It's just that I put a lot of time and energy into the thing and being able to mm-hmm. do the thing to this level. And I'm proud of my efforts. It, it's a it's a fine line sometimes. I mean, we've all, we've seen the the rock star artist, mm. you know, who's just like everything I do is great, even though you're still like, oh yeah. <laughs> listen, dude. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like no, let me, you know, there's hundred other people that I see, but you know those those guys are, but they've put in the work too, and mm. and that's the the hard part is you just want to be want to be gracious but at the same time you you have to be confident because the next person's not going to hire you if they feel like you're not confident right and so it's, it's there's a fine line to be walked on yeah and it's 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 also one of those things that you have to have a thick skin with yep. and that's that's just the the arena you you sort of play in when you make things for other people regardless of what output it is you know and yep. you could you could, you know, install wood flooring in somebody's <laughs> house and be too cocky or not cocky enough to put the bid in on the job, you know. And, totally. and even if you put in the right right number on the bid, and I don't like the way this guy talked to me about how he likes to put in wood floors, <laughs> so I don't want to deal with him on this project, you know. Absolutely. And, and, and that happens in all aspects of people's professional outputs and creative outputs, and it's just one of those things you have to be aware of as a professional or as an artist or, you know, as a person that's doing whatever it is that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do you have any 
local inspirations, people you look around here around town or regionally even that you uh, try to keep up with or uh, can see influences come through your fingertips? Well, I, you know, I, Instagram is a great thing, and it's a, it's a bad thing sometimes, too, because you can spend a lot of time just, just doing, scrolling, just, just doing scrolling. nothing, just chilling. Um, you know, I, I have to say that I am absolutely, completely, 110% jealous of Paris Woodhull because she is absolutely incredibly talented. She, her output and the amount of work she gets done, I just can't even conceive of. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, she she just painted this, this awesome, awesome mailbox downtown where people can drop off love letters to Knoxville. And, and it's oh, just that's a great idea. Yeah, it, oh my it goodness. is. It, and, it, and it is. It's just, you know, this this U.S. Postal Service mailbox that they, I, I don't know if they ordered it red because I, I'm pretty sure she didn't paint that, but then she painted this this awesome park design on it. And so it, it's just this, like I say, this incredible thing, and it's sitting out there, you know, in Market Square accepting letters. <laughs> I'm going to have to so, check that out. I don't know. Yeah, and uh, – um, you know, and and like she did the, this giant mural at the new Petros at Market Square, and like I say, it, it's one of those things. You know, I see her on Instagram, and I'm just like, I met her a couple of times. She's totally sweet, totally accessible, um, but you know, she she's great, and I and I really enjoy seeing her stuff. And so, um, I, regionally, and you'll know this name, but you know. I was a huge fan of Sam Bass before mm-hmm. anybody even knew who he was, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and didn't even know that he was just over the mountain. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just assumed that he was, you know, Chicago, a designer living, working in Chicago or New York. Some or other large place. metro yeah, area. some other large metro area. And, um, you know, but that was a huge influence on me. Because you went to the racetrack and you got the program, and it mm-hmm. was his artwork on every program mm-hmm. and virtually every ticket, and um, that was so that was just really cool. And then and then he shows up here at Food City to sign autographs, yeah, and you're just like, like, "Oh, what? Yeah, yeah." <laughs> and, and you're just like, "Man, this is really cool." And and you find out that these guys are normal people too. Yeah. So. It's, it's five uh, minutes of conversation <laughs> with some of your idols really mm-hmm. humanizes them in a way that is, is a great uh, perspective changer. Uh, yeah. We know these people are people, but until we can person <laughs> with them, it's it, there's something about humanizing the people behind the artwork that, yep. that makes them even more of an influence in some ways that I really enjoy. Um, I had the luxury of working close with uh, two of my former bosses and knowing them as people totally let me understand why their work looked the way it does, and it did and does. And it's a privilege to understand both of those aspects of an artist. Like if you are lucky enough to befriend the person that makes the artwork mm-hmm. that you really ma- that you really enjoy, or you know get to have five minutes of casual conversation with this yeah. person in public, it's it's a window into the person you don't get from their art, and it's 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 a fun way to uh, to humanize the person. So, so who would if you could meet somebody, who would you meet? Oh God, I, I don't. I, this is not the way the questions go, but I'll answer this. Uh, if I could meet I- any artists that I would like to meet, okay. So, um, oh, that's you're putting me on the spot here. Questions <laughs> normally come from me. Um, dang, 
I, I would really like to meet an Australian fella named Rob Mack. He has been an influence of mine for like the last couple of years. That tapestry hanging over my couch is a piece of his artwork. He even went so far recently as to work with a chemist down in Australia to make his own brand of uh, UV fluorescent paints, which oh. I cannot <laughs> wait to get a set of. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. The next batch he drops, it's all limited quantity, right. uh, very high-end, very, very dense pigment. Like He went as nerdy as was absolutely necessary to make this fit his expectations and i love him for it and he's been super sweet to me anytime i've talked with him over the internet he even runs a facebook page that he uh creates more or less curriculum for so people can understand and replicate what he does or use those skills into their own artwork see i see and i and i love people who share like that Mm, he he's so very open and just he I don't say this about a lot of people, but I'm serious. This man is a delight. He really yeah. is. And I, like I said, I've never had any cross interactions with him. He's always been super kind uh, to everyone that I've seen him interact with. Because, you know, on social media, you can see how X person interacts with damn near everybody else. <laughs> and anytime <laughs> I've seen him talk to anybody, he's always been that super grounded, super mellow uh, very open, honest, loving, empathetic individual. And, you know, those qualities in a person are great, but when you find those in a creative person that is consistent across their character, oh, my goodness, it, it's almost like you have to buy that thing now. Right. No. And, and I, you know, I've purchased the, the, the painting that's in this tapestry. It's like a 70-centimeter, a uh, you know, circular MDF board that he's that he's painted on. So you know, you grab this thing and it's like the size of your chest. Like it is a, a person scale yeah. piece of art that is not a tiny thing. And then I've got like a, a, a four by five or five by five tapestry hanging in my living room that's mildly UV reactive, but it's not not like I said, not the experience that you get when no. you have the original. But I am so very pleased to have him, and I would very much enjoy meeting that man. And I hope this is. Uh, I need to listen to this in the future, so future Thomas, remind yourself to uh, send this man a piece of your art because he's told you that he wants it. So I'm going to have to send him something at some point. Um, but he, that's like I said, he's he's been just extremely kind to myself and everyone else that chooses to ask this really gracious man stupid questions about art. And I am so very thankful for the interactions I've had with this man. Whether he knows it or not, he's been a great influence of mine. And I would like to just sit around in the outback and like drink a Foster's <laughs> so with him. You know, it'd that's be great. That's very cool. Um, I cannot, for someone I've never met, I don't have anything cross to say, and I only have uh, the nicest of things to say about this human based on our own interactions so far. So that would be the guy, Matt. <laughs> that's, that's the guy. There are others, but right now in my life, that, that is an artistic influence that I would be over the moon to sit down and have even five minutes of conversation with. I would have said Alex Gray in the past or um, you know some other surrealist painters that everybody is generally aware of. But that's the guy right now. Yeah. And uh, that, that, from a personal standpoint, that potential five minutes of conversation would, would uh, do my, my self-worth and personal <laughs> growth wonders, not, not because I need it, but it would be a luxury to have that experience. Right. And uh, it would be nice. So, uh, all right, your turn. All right. As, um, I, as I turn this back yeah. around on you. No, no, there's – okay, so, the, you know, I – we all have a bucket list of people that we just wish we could meet. Um, Kathy's mine, unfortunately. 
are, are not with us anymore. But I think if there aren't dead people on yeah. that list, you're not doing it right. Right. No. <laughs> um, you know, and, and he, you know, this, this guy is somebody who's totally inaccessible, at least totally inaccessible to me. Um, I, you know, I'm not somebody who's going to reach out to a bunch of people. It's just not my nature. I'm just, it's just not me. Um, but man, if I could sit down with Shep Ferry, that would be so cool. I don't know who this person is. Okay, so Shep Ferry, uh, have you ever seen the uh, Andre the Giant Obey? Yeah, that, that, that guy. That is Shep Ferry. Okay, then yeah, uh, I've, I've seen that that person. He yeah. he does, uh, you know, but but he does he does screen print work, mm-hmm. uh, you know, illustration, some mural painting. Um, you know, he he's sort of a jack of all trades kind of guy, um, but he he just does incredible work and and to mix his art and his politics in a way that he does. Uh, and that's hard to do. I, I, yeah, I, I find, I, I just find it highly engaging, highly entertaining, and very meaningful uh, in a way that I don't always find uh, art and politics right. put together. And I'll so... Also, kudos to this person for being able to create a successful brand around mm-hmm. their imagery. You can have great imagery, but to encapsulate that in a in a in a branding scenario is so difficult. On top of making it Absolutely. creative and expressive, so go to that guy. Yeah, and and he wa- yeah, and and he's and he's you know he's a he's a West Coast, and and that's one of the things you know, it's weird living in East Tennessee. But feeling like a lot of your influences are West Coast people. Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah. like Ed Big Ed Big Daddy Roth. I mean, the California it, hot rod yeah, scene of, all so, of Southern those California custom in the late culture 60s. guys. I'm just like, that's where I'm supposed to mm. be. That's and, where I want. And I, I don't know if you're able to tell it from from my work. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you you saw some of my pinstripe saw blades mm-hmm. on the table here, but. Uh, a lot of the acrylic stuff I've done, like this piece here, yep. is heavily pinstripe uh, in inspired, and that's I'm trying to take that distillation and take it back to the roots and actually learn how to pinstripe with the squirrel hair mac brushes yeah. and the enamel paint, and that that is the art form in this calendar year that I've chosen <laughs> to like. If I have errant creative energy, that is the bucket in which it gets poured, and that is. Uh, happy constriction I've laid in my lap <laughs> because I've always looked at this artwork and go, oh my God, the symmetry, the line work, the color, there's just so much richness in this artwork. I don't even need to talk about how long enamel paint lasts and looks good because you see rusted ass cars oh from, the, from the 50s that still look great with their pinstripe work. I absolutely love one-shot paint. Mm. I love it. It's, it's like... I mean, it's one of those things, like, if I could take a bath in it, <laughs> I would just be like, yeah. That'd be the smelliest <laughs> bath yes. anybody's ever taken. Yes, it would be. But it, it just, I love opening the can. I love the texture of that paint. Oh, I man, that paint is yeah. so silky smooth. It's just, oh, God, it's such a nice And product. those guys have been in business literally forever. Yeah. And as, <laughs> as long as people have been painting sides of striping cars, and probably since a good few decades before then, they've been a thing. And, oh, yeah. And it's been a, a generally middle of the price range, high quality product. Absolutely. And it's great. I, I mean, that's what I'm using. I've got red and white <laughs> and black. And, you know, you, you've seen the things I've done. And 
and that those are the three colors I chose. I'm going to practice until these cans are gone, and cans last forever. It, yeah, and it doesn't take much. That's mm-hmm. just it. Uh, you know, and those Mac, those Mac sword striping brushes are absolutely fantastic. God, I love I, them. Like I say, I've tried my hand at that with mixed results. I've had more fun with that than I have leather, uh, uh, or or painting leather, more importantly. So fonts are something that I, I when I would get bored as as a younger person being a creative person because I've always still been, uh, I would just draw my name in some stylized <laughs> way because that was a word I'm obviously very familiar with because it's my name. And then creating custom one-off fonts is really entertaining. And then at some point along the way, I decided to channel that bit of energy into, okay, well, if you're going to draw this shit, you might as well sit down and actually make the whole alphabet and the numerical characters in a yeah. in a standard font you know, that you would get. If you were to download a mm-hmm. font package, you would get all the letters, upper, lowercase, your punctuation, and zero through nine. Right. So I sat down a couple of times to do fonts, and they were inspired by automotive stuff. Uh, you know, I called it the Slant 6, one of the ones that really sticks in my head, and that's a Chrysler engine from the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And I, I still have this in the back of my head, and sometimes I'll sit down and draw the Slant 6, and and it'll be the, the font for the text in the picture, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I've really enjoyed the automotive-inspired and sort of scripty, tattoo-y look that a lot of uh, art ends up on automobiles mm-hmm. from oh, that era. I love, I love black work, mm. uh, uh, line work when it comes to script fonts. Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. great. Uh, but uh, whether you can tell it or not, a lot of my inspiration comes from, you know, post-war, hot-rodding, all yes. the way up to, like, the late 70s. You know, the oil embargo of the 70s really <laughs> put an end to a lot of the crazy hot-rodding shenanigans of American culture. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's still a very uh, pervasive part of American history when it comes to artistic influence on a lot mm-hmm. of people. And I will in no way ever deny that that's probably like 60% of oh, what yeah. comes out of my fingertips is directly influenced from that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be pinstriping saw blades right now for practice if it wasn't for me loving like fifties Mercury's that have been lead slated to shit, you know, just like Oh yeah. I I I love all of it and there's not and there's not a, an aspect of automotive culture that I can't find something inside of that that I really enjoy. Like something so foreign to me is like low rider culture, but you know what? How pretty are those cars? How crazy are the paint oh, pigments? Yeah. You have gold leafing. You have flakes. You have all the paint textures and patterns. Like, can we? That's that's a thing that should never go away because it's such a glorious execution mm-hmm. that it, it deserves a spot. I I absolutely love the Hot Wheels guys. Uh, you know, there's no. It's unfortunate because I would love to see their concept art, and there's just not. I mean, Scott Robertson's put out some books. He's one of the lead designers on Hot Wheels. Uh, I feel like they keep a lot of that under lock and key pretty hard. A lot of it's it's proprietary stuff, yeah. and but you know, there's there's just this. They do such a good job of capturing the essence of a vehicle in one sixty fourth scale, mm. and, and and then and. And what I what I find myself wanting to do is actually buy those, take them home, strip them, and then refinish them in my vision yeah. of of what they should look like. I, 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 you could consider me guilty of repainting a few Hot Wheels yeah. cars. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it, and I am not ashamed. 
I, I'm not either. I've done it before too, but I, I find myself wanting to do it more. But it's one of those again, time consuming, a lot of you know, a lot of resources in, in just in in the process. And sometimes I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't know if it's worth that to me. <laughs> but but then again, you enjoy the process. I enjoy right? the process. There no, it's go. totally right. You know, but it it it's one of those things where if I I'm like if I have to choose between two hours doing like you said, two hours in this bucket or two hours in this bucket. Sometimes I gotta choose which bucket over yeah, here because because it's gonna to. have a bigger payoff down the road. I I hate having to make those choices yeah. too, but you sometimes you put yourself in a corner to have to make those choices, mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing. And if you realize on the front end that you're gonna have to make this choice, you can understand you know in a little bit longer run of of of, of the scheme of things, you can sit down and still give that that two hours. It just might yeah. have to be you know three weeks from now. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, absolutely, and and that's the. The, the joy uh, that's part of the joy of that is knowing that you have that and that's that's kind of a dirty you know a, a dirty pleasure you know of, of customizing because because mm. i'll never have like a driveway full of cars that i can customize right and so yeah it, i'm tired of my project car <laughs> being my daily driver i'll say that <laughs> yeah no absolutely no totally agree totally uh, agree and so um, you know, my my dad and his brothers, when they were kids, built a 32 Ford T-Bucket. Mm. And it's sitting in my garage. And it needs brakes. It'll is, go, but is it won't that stop. It? Does it only need brakes? It, it, well, it, it needs some other stuff, but, you know, it's it's largely functional otherwise. Mm. Um, at, at this point, mm. it would need new hoses and all that stuff. But It's been sitting uh, for a minute. It's been sitting for a bit because my my dad passed away fifteen years ago, and so um, you know I I just didn't have the it, well it was at my mom's for a long time because uh, she just didn't want to let it go that long. Yeah, that's, that's so, understandable. Um, you know, so I'm excited because I I'd like this summer to be the summer that I finally pull it out and really get to assess everything um, be- because I want I want that part back, but it, it's a connection to you know. My dad had street rod magazines all over the house because mm-hmm. that was, you know, that was, his, was that was his baby, and and that was his. I mean, he was a machinist, and so that was his form of expression because he, you could ask my dad for anything, and he would bring it to you, and it would be machined aluminum, and it would be the most beautifully polished, and exactly what yeah, you need, and exactly what you need. Yeah, and so, um, it, you know, it, but it is one of those things because I'm kind of like. You know, it's been this color for over 50 years, but I really think I want it to be this color yeah. and be pinstriped this way. And so, does it have uh, any striping on it right now? Uh, no, it, do, it doesn't have any actual striping. Oh, okay. on it. It's got some. It's got some detail around uh, around some of the body lines, but not any actual. Not not any of the, the pinstriping on it, like like we think of, you know, West Coast hot rod. Right. Yeah, he would. He, that was not my, that was not my dad's. That was not his style. Now he would rather it be uh, mechanically. He yeah. He was all about the, he was all about the car. Yeah. It was all about the car. So so the color <laughs> and the and the and the visual attitude were not so much his emphasis, but no. how it worked and how it fit exactly. together were exactly his emphasis. Yeah it, yeah, and it was his because he built it. He literally built it from the ground up, and so. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So. I li- I like hearing those stories quite a bit because not only do I have a love for tea buckets, I, I yeah. just, just knowing that someone spent their time and energy making that thing from zero to the complete item, you know, themselves, 
is is great and not abandoning abandoning such a complex project as an automobile says something about their their test <laughs> patience because as simple as cars can be they are still not simple no and no not at all and, and i love and hate their their uh state of dogmasmanship of how complicated everything is but cars like that from that era and and several decades later are just glorious machines and, and I don't know if that's nostalgia talking about general society or just things were made different and that is different and good because it's different. I, I think in this case this is different and good because it is different. Um, the reliability aspect I would never go back to <laughs> because I because I, I never wanted to be a shade dream and heck I was always you know, it was always about the aesthetics for me, and and like you say, I mean, the whole lowrider thing always seemed silly to me, well, but I couldn't is, deny they looked cool. It is very yeah. exaggerated, <laughs> and it's it's a very extreme form of expression, mm -hmm. but the level of skill and execution that it takes to make cars look like that is is art art mastery, regardless of what lens you look at this. If you think this is a uh, a silly vehicle with all these flashy things like right. you you understand that to get this thing to look like that there is some mass amounts of finesse that go and it's not just the outside of those cars that is is crazy like they are decked to the nines uh, you know interior oh, yeah. exterior underneath all the way around these vehicles are decked out and it's just so amazing to see the time and energy and brain power that goes into just making all of these decisions. And that, that that goes across most, you know, custom car culture, but when it comes to low riders and, and West Coast West Coast um, hot rodding culture, in general, when someone had a really nice car, it was not just really nice on the outside. Like it was oh, really nice all the way down to the frame rails and the polished brake lines. Like, it was no joke. And I, I've had people tell me they spent a weekend polishing steel, you know, steel brake lines because when someone got on their hands and knees and looked under their car, they didn't want to see dirty-ass oh, brake lines. Yeah. And yeah. I, I love it. And if I had if I had the time and the means to do something like that, I certainly would, and I wouldn't stop myself because, you know what, I hate abandoning projects. Yeah. I, I hate interrupted projects. That it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I know. It's like, but I have to go do this thing. I, I don't <laughs> mind interruptions so much because I, as as much as I try to understand that life is crazy and life is crazy and different for everybody, I have to accept the things that are outside of my control. And that is, uh, if it's a force interruption and it's outside of my control, then I'm just going to grit my teeth and say, okay, I'm not there. And if it's an interruption or a, or a pause or a lay dormant for six months that I choose, it's going to just feel gross. It's just a different logic. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, yeah, I mean, in the short term, task switching is hard for me, but I, but you're right. And, you know, I, I hate sometimes that feeling of seeing something sitting in the corner that's waiting on me mm. to come back to oh, yeah. it. And it's either because I'm not in the headspace for it or because there's a, you know, some sort of barrier to entry at, at that point for me, mm. you know, getting back into it. Th those eat at me a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I have, I, I don't think I have anything going on in my life right now that isn't particularly finished other than the one piece of jewelry I'm working on right now. 
luckily I can it's tiny and I can just shove it in the corner and like <laughs> set it in a drawer and not have to see it staring at me the whole time. But I, I really do try to spend good warping energy to either finish something or leave it in a state that when I come back to it for whatever reason, it is in a good way to be uh, picked up again. Right. And and that is its own demon to battle, I suppose. Because if you know you have to take a break on a project, you're like, oh, this is one more thing before I stop. Uh, and then that'll, that'll get you. And that gets me at work a lot, too, because I put big stickers on cars for a living. <laughs> I'm a professional sticker sticker. And, you know, there's always one more thing until there's not. And then you're done, and then there's still probably at least one more thing you could do because there's always one more thing regardless of what you're doing. There's always a bubble somewhere. Oh, man, yeah, of course. <laughs> and you can do your best to, to eliminate all those, but, you know, the, the nature of the beast is that no matter how hard you try, there's always going to yep. be at least one. And you can lay things down as wrinkle-free as anybody else, but, you know, uh, things are designed nowadays to let oxygen move out from behind these things, which is great and very useful. Air egress technology <laughs> is amazing, and that's the term for it. Um, it definitely saves me a lot of headaches, but not all of it is created equal. So bubbles, no. bubbles are always <laughs> going to happen. You just know have to know how to have to. You have to know how to deal with them per material, per application, per scenario. Like it's all relative, and it's one of those things that can be endlessly frustrating unless you realize that you have to literally look at this one instance in this one scenario this one instance in this one scenario and deal with that then and now because it doesn't matter what else is going on if you're working on this three square inch piece that is is your problem then you have to work on that one small piece that is your problem and hopefully you fix it in a way that doesn't draw the ire immediately of everybody because uh you know starting out being a programmer and call technician is really rough because you're like oh i've just got this thing here and then you mess that up being a greenhorn and it's just like oh man that's the first thing everybody's gonna see when they look yep. inside of this truck i put a bubble right in the middle of somebody's logo once that i just could not fix and i just felt so bad came home that day and just hated myself for life <laughs> but uh you know experience be damned and uh, that one got the best of me but the next one got worse so yep. uh, bubbles these days are not so much my enemies but uh they are formidable adversaries <laughs> totally feel you so uh last question how, uh, or not how, but are there any artists uh, local that you would like to hear on this podcast? It could be one, it could be a list. Oh. Do, you, do you have anybody that you would like to, uh, to to listen to in this format in the future? Yeah, I, I think get, I, I think Paris is a, is a worthy is a worthy listen. Um, you know, she she does a good job on you know Instagram Live uh, of of sort of checking in talking about stuff and answering questions but um, I think an opportunity to, uh, to to get her sort of long form would, would be great um, and there's a there's a gentleman I can't think of his name right off the top of my head but he has sort of a west coast inspiration but he's sort of uh, he, he throws an east Tennessee feel into it mm-hmm. that I, I think getting him on here would be awesome well um, when you remember yeah, you can I tell know, me that I'll, I'll have to I'll have to send you his name because I, I I do follow him on Instagram, uh, but yeah, I would I would talk to those two folks for sure. Well, that would uh, I'll have to write that down. I'm really legit trying to keep a list of, of when I ask this question, yep. the names I get back in return because 
if one person tells me three names, then oh boy, at least one of these people <laughs> will surely at least have a short conversation with me. Yeah, it's and, a volume game. Yeah, <laughs> if I can, if I can get some people to tell me some people, and then I've got some notes. So it's it's a it's a fun game to play because I like asking people that question, and then there's the second behind the scenes part, like uh, do I write people these emails and see who says anything back? Yeah, it, um, it's a fun time. Yeah, at T. Shelley, uh, he's a photographer in town. Talk to him. He's a uh, he, he's a really interesting dude because he's uh, he's got some challenges that that make photography difficult. Oh yeah. So I think that would be an interesting conversation. I'll have to I'll have to write that one down for that. All right. So well, thank you very much. I'm gonna hit the the outro button and then we'll wrap this thing cool. up. Cool. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, you are most welcome. Thanks for coming. That was the show. I hope you enjoyed. All the relevant social media and website links will be in the episode description for the featured artist today. And if you yourself or know an artist that you would like to be or see on the platform, shoot me an email. It'll be listed somewhere on here. I'll try to make it plainly evident for you. But uh, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.